this is the rule. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, who was skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Welcome back to the Sons of Valor podcast. I'm Brian Phillips with Grace Ops. Today on episode five, I have with me in the studio, Ryan Evan, who's been with us and you're familiar with him. I also want to introduce today, Ken Hansen, who is with us for the first time, Dr. Ken. And he's also part of the Grace Ops culture and he's a strategic part of our team. So it's an honor to have you in the studio today, uh, Dr. Ken. Welcome. Thanks, Brian. To Great to be with you guys today. So we want to actually talk about this today on this podcast. We want to talk about this question. I want to ask this question. How did David live to get that reputation from other young men? So at this time, David's 13, 14 years old, I would imagine somewhere in that that age range. In mm-hmm. 1 Samuel 16, David gets this amazing like report from one of his peers. That he's, hey, I've seen the son of Jesse. He's skillful. He's a man of valor, a man of war. He's prudent in speech. He's a man of good presence. And God's with him. How the heck did David get this type of report? I mean, as a young guy, right? So young men compete. Old men compete. We're all competitive. So he gets a peer to buy in at this level. What the heck's going on in David? What's David doing in his life that we can learn from today to be greater sons of valor in our own assignments in life. What can we learn from this little phrase, this little scripture? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think uh, for our listeners, the context of, of why his peer would bring up David's name is Saul is looking for someone to help him. He's, he's being tormented by spirits. And Saul is saying, does anybody know of anyone that can help me? And all of a sudden, this young teenager who has been hidden out in the fields suddenly gets thrust into the limelight because one of his peers steps up and says, I know a guy. So how do you get a a reputation like that? Well, I think one of the ways is we look at David's life that we build a reputation by being faithful with the gifts that God has given us in the little things wherever God has set us, right? Uh, It's about stewardship in our life. Um, Faithful in the little things. Yeah, do we steward what God has given us well? You know, the Bible says this, every one of us have at least one gift. Most of us have multiple gifts. David had gifts, right? But he didn't just coast with those gifts. The question is not do we have gifts, is it's what we're doing with those gifts. Are we developing and honing them? You know, God can't call on us. He can't open a door. He can't promote us. People aren't going to recognize us if we haven't prepared to be used by God by developing our gifts when no one else is around. So here's David. He's out in the field. And when he's out in the field in the pasture, he's not just simply waiting for an open door. He's not wasting his time. He's training. Yeah, that's good. He's in training. He's developing his gifts. He's seeking God. He's honing his craft. So when the need arises, there's a guy that's been training and he's prepared and ready to step into that moment because he's been faithful with the little things. And now God can trust him 
with well, a big well, opportunity. The, the other scripture says he'll be ruler over much. Right, exactly. And and I and that's an interesting point that you bring up, Doctor Ken, because I understand that in my life, being faithful with the small things. You know, God's not concerned with making us famous. He wants us to be faithful. Right. And so for for me, faithfulness actually means a lot to me. I mean, I'm really committed to faithfulness. And I learned a lesson over the last decade of my life uh, concerning gifts and concerning like assignments, right? I never forget. I go to a lot of leadership stuff. I'm drawn to that type of environment, as I know all of us are. And one time I was there and I I really felt God speak to me. He's like, Brian, are you here because you think some other leader with a bigger platform or a bigger assignment is going to discover you? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, if I'm honest, yeah, there's a little bit of that in me, God. You know, I'm not going to lie. And the Lord taught me something. He's like, I've already discovered you. You don't need, no one else is going to help you get any further than I'm going to help you. So it helped me grow in greater level of intimacy with God and and respect. But it, you reminded me of that when he brought that up because David's not looking to be discovered. David's just out there doing the work, honing in the skills and think about this, building his abilities. Think about this. When David was discovered, right. And he was anointed by Samuel. (laughs) And then, you know, Saul is asking to go find me a man. Where is he again? Back tending the sheep. So even after he was anointed King by, by Samuel, he he went back to his duty, yeah, to be faithful and obedient to his father's, you know, his father's house. He's like, so I love killing lions and, gonna, and gonna, bears. Yeah, right? I, I'm going to go like, back and I'm going to yeah. tend the sheep and I'm going to get back to my work. I love fighting. Yeah, you know, it, 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 there wasn't this assumption or or even presumptuous type spirit or 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 thought process that says, well, now I'm king and I can enter into the palace. He he went back and waited and said, well, you know, God will open that door. Well, and it was God decades, will, right? It was yeah, twenty some years I mean, before David years becomes king. From the time you know, that he's yeah. anointed king to the t- uh, to the time he actually becomes king is twenty years, and he has and, to be faithful. And he has to be faithful during all that time. And of course, he goes through hell and high water because you know after his bout with Goliath and he defeats Goliath, then Saul's jealous and tries to kill him for all those years. But it brings up an interesting point. We live in a culture where everybody wants to be famous. You got all these people. Yeah. You know, whether it's through YouTube, social media, wherever it is, their goal is, I want to be famous. But why did David gain such a great reputation? Because he didn't seek the spotlight. Right. You said it, Brian. For David, it wasn't, his goal wasn't to be famous. His goal was to be pleasing to the Lord. David was humble. He was just looking to serve God. He was not looking to be served. He was not looking to be a big shot. He was humble. His heart was pliable in God's hands. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be a blessing to others. That attitude right there is what will get you noticed in the end. But it's not the attitude of our culture. No. But if the biblical attitude is humility. Not, I want to be famous. I want to serve is the biblical mandate. And man, there are so few people that come with the heart of, I want to just serve you, that those are the people in the end. It's counterintuitive because everything in the Bible... If you want, if you want to be first, you got to be last. If you want to go right. up, you got to go down. Same thing here. You know, it's not seeking fame. It's not seeking the spotlight. It's seeking to serve. But let me tell you, people notice those who have that servant heart. That servant. So when you people. serve, you you automatically, not maybe instantly, but over time, you rise to the occasion. Right. And there, there's something to be said about this. We're talking about, you know. 
what it means to what biblical masculinity looks like, what it means to be a son of valor. And so we're saying right here that we can take away from this thing in our own lives is be faithful in the small things when no one else is looking. So I do that even now, right? In all the spheres I lead, um, I'm still the guy that'll bend over and pick up a wrapper. I'll still grab a rag and wash a window. Yeah. I mean, I'll clean the bathrooms, whatever. I'm not saying I do it every week or that's my main role and assignment. Yeah. But if I look, something got overlooked, I'm fixing it. Yeah. Because I'm passionate and I'm serving. No one sees any of that kind of stuff. Right. right? But it's part of the reason why I lead organizations is because I, I am that way. God sees it. And the other thing is, in our culture, think about the culture at large. Men have been taught that they're the king of the castle, that everybody needs to serve them. And this is why families are dysfunctional. No. Again, the biblical mandate is the opposite. The father, the husband, is to be the servant of all. We're to serve our wives. We're to serve our kids. Because that's how you create a healthy family environment. It's not you sit in your chair, you know, you're not the king on your throne and everybody serves you, serves you. No, that's not a biblical model. So God exalts David because, again, his attitude of serving. And so for the guys that are listening today, if you want to go up, Start serving your wife. Start serving your kids. Start serving in your church. Don't expect other people to serve you. Right, and be engaged. And I think that the the messaging here. So we we're kind of talking about a story. We'll build it out a little bit more. So so first of all, Saul was the first king of Israel. He didn't obey the Lord. He didn't really fully obey. And then the prophet Samuel comes and he's like, "Hey, you know, a, a few tries in God's." changed his mind he's done with you (laughs) and this is where we're reading this part because Saul actually became the spirit of the Lord had lifted Mm -hmm. and he had become tormented so that's creating all kinds of havoc in the kingdom Saul's like his own personal life is really so he's this phrase comes from Saul's heart of saying well who's a man that can play who's a man that knows how to worship God in such a way that my personal torment will be lifted. Yeah. Where I can listen to him. He has a way to bring the spirit of the Lord. And this is where this young man goes, oh, I know a guy. Right. And now think about this. When we're in our workplaces as men, there are guys in your workplaces that don't know Christ that are being tormented. Yeah, that's right. Their lives are a living hell. They, like Saul, are looking for someone that can come and soothe their spirit, that has an answer for them. So by the reputation that you've built as a man in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your church, wherever it is, doesn't matter. Are people stepping up in that moment saying, you need to talk to so-and-so. I know a guy. I know a guy. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And here's the other thing I want to go back to with, with King Saul, because you mentioned that God was done with Saul. What's interesting about David and Saul is, The only reason that God was done with Saul was because Saul was done with God. Saul's an interesting character. He doesn't do half the bad things that David does. Right. But the difference between him and David, I mean, David's an adulterer. David's a murderer. David, I mean, David, Saul can't hold a candle to the bad things that David did. I agree. And that's, I'm glad you bring that up. But why does David succeed in the end? Because David always repented and returned to God. Saul would never admit his wrongdoing. Saul didn't write Psalm 51. Yeah. 
Saul never went to God and said, God, I blew it. I'm sorry. Instead, he resisted. Well, he was like, hey, advances the Samuel, Lord. stand by me at the big gathering so the people will still think yeah. God's with me, right? He was, he was a conniving politician. Yeah, and, he's a poser. Not man. altogether evil, but yeah, poser. He's right. a poser. Yeah. He's, he's <laughs> pretending. He, he never bows his knee to God. He never repents. He never says he's sorry. And that's the kind of stuff. When to I, where we get it that his heart is hardened. So it wasn't so much that God was done with Saul. Saul made it clear he was done with God. Well, I'm just not doing what you want me to do, God. So well, and God. it reminds me, it reminds me of, of really the character flaw, the character issue, right? Yeah, the lack exactly. of character building, yeah. you know, that, that went on in Saul's life where, you know, it reminds me of that verse where he talks about you being a whitewashed tomb. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's it, it becomes a thing of appearance with Saul, right? Because that's why he was calling um, Samuel. Samuel. Yeah, yep. even yeah, from yeah. the dead, right? That, that's what, yeah, yeah. <laughs> even yeah. from the dead. What he's, <laughs> what he's saying, make image. me look good. Yeah, it's like, make me appear like the godly king before the people. You know what I mean? While yeah. inwardly, my heart is far from him, you know? Yeah, so how and, many times is guys, how many churches are filled with guys? They're not standing next to Samuel. They're standing next to their, next to their wife going through the motions. Make me look good. And God wants your heart. Yeah, their hearts are disconnected. Yeah. Yeah. So the storyline here is interesting. So there's this these words. So Saul's looking for someone. I mean, this mm-hmm. is a king gone mad, and he's looking for help, really. David has the answer, and one of his peers is delivering this news. He's skillful in playing. He's a man of valor. I mean, we're talking about this guy's like 14, 13, right? Like, He's not even a man yet, but yet he's killed the lion and the bear. I'm sure that storyline was out there with his peers. Maybe some of them were hanging out that day with him when he went after one of these guys. We don't know. He goes after, he goes after, um, he's prudent in speech. So David was developing his skills. He was honed. He was a learned guy. He was, he was, he wasn't just sitting around waiting and, and he's a man stop. of good presence, yeah. right? Like a man of good presence. We want to get into that. And, yeah, and then the talk- Lord is with him. His peers are like looking at this guy. Like, this is a guy even among us, and we're just 13, 14 years old, right? Let's not gloss over, he was a man of good speech. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that he was a great order. It meant he knew how to use his words. You know, we all know there's power in the tongue, right? That's what Proverbs says, the power to give life or the power to destroy and kill. And so, obviously, his peers admired David because David was an encourager. David used his words wisely. Uh, David didn't stir up strife. He didn't talk about people. He didn't backbite. Uh, David had a good reputation because there was always a good word coming out of his mouth. Uh, I think of in the New Testament where it says, let your speech be seasoned with salt. Salt is a preservative. It adds flavor and life to people. Um, That little verse, he was of good speech. That's pretty powerful. How How many young people right now, how many teenagers could be said they're of good speech? The stuff that flies out of their mouth, the stuff that flies out of some of our mouths at times, we need to check what's coming out of our mouths that other people are listening to that makes them not want to be around us. Well, because what's coming out of our mouth is actually what's actually living inside of our hearts. Exactly. And so when it says he's a man of good presence, it goes right along with what you're saying with speech because you want to be around someone like that. Right. Right. I mean, think about David's peers. He, he was the guy that had 
You know, I'm kind of like my, I heard someone say this and I stole, I can't remember who said this to me, but you know, the whole glass is half empty or half full. Yeah. I ran into a guy once he was like, the glass is always full for me. And I was like, I'm that guy too. (laughs) Right. So (laughs) it's like, I'm just like that. Right. Like, but you, but there's a, there's power around being around that, right? Like being around David, I could imagine was just uplifting for his peers. You know, he's the guy that's like, hey, look, I'm going to take that leaf off that tree with the stone, right? Like he was challenging them in their skills. Hey, I'm going to actually sing this song. I'm skillful in the music, right? So this reputation was among his buddies. Yeah, I think the question that we need to ask ourselves when we look at this passage is, how do people feel when they're in your presence? When you walk into a room, do people draw closer to you? Or do they move further away from you because of the way that you make those people feel? Right. I know that there's people when they walk in a room, I don't want to be near them because when you're near them, they make you feel stupid or they look down on you or you feel less than or whatever it is. And then there are people that walk into a room, man, I want to get close to them because when I'm around them, I feel empowered. I feel encouraged. I feel validated and affirmed and lifted up and valued and seen. Do people feel that way? Uh, about us. The text tells us David had a good presence, which means people liked to be around him. Look at, as men, if no one likes to be around us because we're gruff, grumpy, we don't affirm people, we're kind of mean, uh, not only will we not build a very good reputation, but we will, we will be terrible leaders because no one will follow us. So if you think you're a leader, but nobody's following you, you're mistaken. You're just out for a walk, right? All by yourself. Right. So to get people to follow us, they have to like being around us. Yeah, there has to be something about us that's empowering. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, I wasn't raised in church. I don't even really like church and I lead a church, you know, so it's like the, 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 there's a mysterious tension in my life, but I won't quit the church really because God hasn't quit the church. But saying all that, I get tired of church world. I get tired of like the way the church has kind of misused some of this stuff and abused some of this stuff. And I guess it's the churchiness or it's the, the clickiness of church that I I really, I'm not, I just, it's like the religious jargon. You know, I learned how to speak in public high schools. I didn't learn how to speak in a church. I had to reach people out in the streets, like in the high schools, like those are tough crowds. And I think this good presence thing is very powerful because I know and I want to help other people know, and we know this, I want we can walk into any room and I can bring the light and the power of God into a room without being churchy, without using this. And I don't want to mock it necessarily, but this amen, praise the Lord, brother, like, you know, that type of lingo, you can just go like a heat sinking missile to someone's heart. If you learn how to listen to their soul, even in the first minute of talking to them, right? God can use you in powerful ways. I'm just, I'm bringing this up. It kind of triggered yeah. me a little bit because like man of good presence. Well, it's a great, how are we being men of sons of valor of good yeah. presence in the earth, wherever we are to bring, to bring this rapport, yeah. to bring this, not this religious clicky jargon well, stuff. And it's, and it's, but are we really living it or is it pouring out of us? Yeah. And, and, you know, but I think, I think, you know, it's easy to, 
you know, like we're talking about being a man of good presence. We're talking about, you know, how David was good in speech and all the, all these different things. Well, there's a lot of people out there that are good in speech who lack the presence of God on their life, who lack wisdom. You know, I could, I could, I could be the most eloquent speaker and my vernacular could be superb. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I can, I can articulate myself with, with, you know, great skill. Um, yet my words would fall flat on their face because they're done without wisdom. Here's you know, the difference, I think. The, the difference is one word, and, it, and it's the difference between Saul and David. Authenticity. Brian, when you talk about going into high schools and connecting with people, to connect with people, we can have all the goods in the world, but to connect with people requires us to be authentic. Yeah. That means you get rid of all the churchy jargon and, and you're in your you, right? David was authentic in his relationship with God. He just, you know, read the Psalms. Right. Right. And because he's authentic with God, he becomes authentic with other people. They see this guy, what you see is what you get. This is the real deal. He, he has no errors. He's not religious. He's not super spiritualizing things. This guy's real. Saul is always spiritualizing. He's always worried about image. He's always got the mask yeah. on. He's, he lives Pure a very man. inauthentic life. And so that's what you're saying, Ryan, is, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's authenticity that distinguishes. As men, are we authentic? People want to be around David because of his presence. His presence was authentic. Yeah, he's a man of valor. He's, he's all of this stuff that they're reading off about him, a man of war. Now, I want to pose one more question. And, and maybe we can talk about defining what it means or kind of getting into it. It's not something that's common. It's not common language in our in our modern world. So it goes on to say, so Saul's looking for this type of person that can bring him momentary peace, given you know, lifting this torment that he's been going through. And it says that David came to Saul. So this report comes, this young guy says, hey, I know a guy. And then David comes to Saul, enters his service, it says Saul loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. So he would play before Saul and it says that Saul, Saul would be actually refreshed in David's presence uh, when David would worship the Lord and the harmful spirit would depart from him. So I want to talk, we got some time left here. I want to talk about the question is what does it mean to be an armor bearer? And then what does it mean to be an armor bearer in modern day life in our marketplace and our families? How can men uh, learn today from this, this episode uh, how to bring the idea and concept of an armor bearer into their lives? Yeah, I think we have to start with, because that term can mean or has meant, especially in Christian culture, different things at different times, we need to start with the definition. And the, def- the simple definition of an armor bearer is one who helps, gives strength, gives assistance, and gives support to another person. Now, unfortunately, in the Christian world, and we were talking about this before the podcast started, Brian, uh, a lot of pastors have had armor bearers. But the problem is the relationship (laughs) has been wonky because their armor bearer is really treated like a slave. Like a slave, yeah. Carry my bags. Wash my car. Wash my car. Go take my... Pick up my dry clean one. That's not an armor bearer. Yeah, announce my right. name when I walk into a room. You know, that's a, that's a slave. <laughs> announce my name. You know, yeah. <laughs> Let the that's, trumpets blare. That's, oh, that's an abuse of power. Well, you know what's, 
I mean, I wasn't raised in church, but I've been around church culture for two decades. And you've helped me a lot in my walk. You know, I really appreciate your life, Ken, and your model that you put out there. You've been a great man of valor that I pulled strength from, and I'm glad that we get to work together on this team. But the church world, to me, really screwed this one up in my... I mean, I understand Armor Bear. I've been a good one, want to continue to be a good one. Um, I kind of want, through Grace Ops and Sons of Valor, I want to kind of, let's redefine the healthy version. Right. <laughs> because the church world kind of, I don't know, they kind of brought it through muddy waters for me, and it was like, yeah, it's not that. It's yeah, not we that. misapplied it. You know, it, but but it's true. But, like, what you're bringing here today is the true essence of it, is that essentially what if an armor bearer was a person who had another guy's back? I mean, that fits in the definition, right? We're talk, we talk about building a band of brothers all the time. So it's like having someone's back. Now, what were you saying about, you know, the type of person that can hear, like say I'm your armor bearer and somebody comes to me and you're like, oh, Ken is such a piece of, you know, he, this guy, you don't even believe what this guy did. Yeah. And what does it I, mean? As an armor bearer, I can be like, well, no, no, I know Ken. Like, right. That's not Ken at all. And like, you really better make a good case because I'm about to tear you up. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So what does it mean to have another person's back? It means you care as much or more about their reputation, their well-being, them being blessed as you do for yourself. Uh, you put their needs ahead of yours. So it means giving them or that person the benefit of the doubt when something happens. So somebody comes and says, did you hear about so-and-so? I can't believe. And you go, wait, wait, wait a minute, time out. You don't jump to conclusions when you hear something Instead, you trust who they are until you get all the Absolutely. facts. Yeah. Uh, you don't, armor bearers don't allow their ears to become garbage cans for other people to dump trash in yeah, about people. So good, man. <laughs> they stand up. They have their back. No, you're not going to talk to my friend about that like that. If you have a problem with my friend, I'll go with you to my friend and you can ask him about it and we'll get this resolved, but you're not going to just sit here and destroy his reputation. Right. That's what an armor bearer does. Yeah, because you can trust the character because you, you know the person. You know the person. And you know that whatever this person is saying, it doesn't jive. It, it doesn't bear witness to what you know about that person. But in our culture, we have such a gossip-ridden culture. We love dirt on people that as soon as somebody's accused of something... Right away, we jump on it. Oh, I knew that. I knew they were too good to be true. I knew this. You know, we jump to conclusions all the time without having facts. Well, in, in, in the Hebrew culture, the Hebrew word for what we're actually talking about at this gossip level is Lashan Hara, which is the evil tongue. Mm -hmm. And the practicing of the evil tongue is terrible because we actually all do it and we have to learn to, you know, to kind of work this out of our lives and practices all together. So exposing it with knowledge is powerful. But when we, when we demean another person, it's like stepping up. It's like pride. Yeah. It's a way for us you know, to, I can push better. them down and exalt myself. Armor bearers don't need to look better because they take the servants. And the role. reason I like this con, this, the, how we're defining armor bearer is it's not, it's not about like hierarchy, right? It's not like, I can be an I I can serve you as an armor bear Ken and I can serve Ryan as an armor bear and you guys are two different ages two different generations it's not about hierarchy right it's about loyalty 
It's about kindness. And ultimately, it's, it's about God. Yeah. I'm not serving you as much right. as I'm serving my father. Exactly. And that's the difference between David and Saul. David had a fear of the Lord foundation. Saul has a fear of man foundation. So to be in, you know, David's get, got, he has this reputation uh, spoken very highly of him because he's out there where no one can see him. There's no spotlight on him. He's not on the battlefield with Goliath yet. Yeah. But he's honing in these skills in this passion for God. And he's doing this faithfully. And he's doing it in a way where that's what it, it means to be an armor bearer. Yeah. That's what it means to serve is just do it as unto God. Yeah. You know, do you know, serve another person as unto God. Right. Have their back. And I think the cool thing is, you know, one of the things armor bearers do, a great armor bearer in your life will motivate you and arouse you to do greater things through their affirmation and encouragement. In other words, they literally pull the best of you out. They, I often like to use the phrase, they pull the gold out of you. Yeah. Maybe stuff that you don't even know is in there that they see. They draw it out of you through their encouragement and affirmation. You can do this. You've got this. Right? They're the number one cheerleader for you. Right. Uh, we all need cheerleaders because we all have enough critics. We need more cheerleaders that can say, I believe in you. You can do this. Man, I see what you don't see in yourself. Right. Yeah. Well, and it makes me think too about even uh, like if you go through the New Testament, you won't find the word armor bearer. That was an Old Testament principle. It was an Old Testament title, you know, but then I started thinking, I'm like, well, it's got to be somewhere or at least the principle had to have carried on, you know, and then when God talks about bearing with one another in their burdens, right, you know, and we're, we're that's what we're talking about. Like, like, let's let's bring it to a modern day armor bearer, you know, like are you, who's, whose burdens are you carrying with them? Who are you coming alongside of and saying, I'm going to carry the weight. Like I'm going to get up under the weight yeah. and I'm going to feel the pressure with you. You know, I'm going to have your back in these moments. I'm going to have your back as we build together, right. my sword in one hand, you know, and, and we're going to be building other. a trowel in the other hand. We're going to be building this thing up. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and those are the kind of men, you know, and again, it, it takes humility, you know, and David cultivated a life of humility before God and before men. And that's what ultimately promoted him, you know, was because God brought that exaltation, right? He says, humble, humble yourself before the Lord and I will exalt you. You know, I think that's in James four, you know, um, and, and when I, when I think about the, the armor bearer, man, there's some cool stuff when you kind of start looking through the armor bearer, um, you know, and, and what that position really looked like in the old Testament, you know, um, really with men of war, because it was the chief ambassadors. It was very high end soldiers. It wasn't your common man, your common soldier, your common, common infantry man that was carrying armor bearers into the fight. You know, like these guys weren't like getting their they weren't just getting, um, you know, the warrior dressed before they went to battle. They went into the battle with them, you know. Right. So, so we learn that an armor bearer is a highly trusted position, right. highly trusted. I'm, you're, I, you know, like if I've got an armor bearer with me, I'm putting parts of my life into his hand right. because he's going to carry the extra seal. He's going to carry the extra swords, you know. And and the other thing I, I you know, I read this last night when I was kind of just looking at the armor bearer was that that as they went into battle. As 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 the as the as the guy would wound other guys, you know, it wouldn't make a, a complete kill shot on some of his enemies. That it was the armor bearer's job to go hit the final the the final kill shot. He was there to strike them down and make sure they didn't come from behind. Yeah. 
You know, I mean, so you are, this is an armor bearer is not any small thing. I mean, you are going into battle. You are waging war with one another. And, you know, uh, you know, just as David was uh, King Saul's armor bearer, eventually Jonathan became David's armor bearer, you know, um, Mm -hmm. who went into battle. Think about the relationship you know, like the strength, like that, that David talks about Jonathan, the way he talks in such affection and high honor of, of, of him. And, 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 you know, and again, like this culture of a band of brothers, man, this is what we're looking to create. Like, are you, are you going to be there to bear another man's burden? Are you going to be there with them when they fall to make sure that they don't get, you know, run up on behind and get killed in the battle? Like, let's, you know what I'm saying? Like, what is that old saying about the church about like, it's, it's the only, uh, what do they say? The, uh, the only people organization that, that kills the that, wounded. That kills the wounded. Yeah. I mean, let's not be those men. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're, 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 I mean, so here's another key thing is that when you talk to guys and talk to men, well, I don't have an armor bearer. I need an armor bearer. I want an armor. You know, every man wants an armor bearer, but here's where it starts. You need to be an armor bearer yeah. to have an armor bearer. You know? Uh, serve to be served. You got to be led to be. Yeah, lead, to lead. we want because again, we want people to start serving us first. It's just like, well, I don't have any friends. We'll go be a friend, right? And you'll have plenty. If you in David's life, David amasses all of these mighty men. They're called in the scripture, but what they really are is thieves and misfits. So when David ends up with all these guys in the cave of Adullam, right? These guys are willing to die for David. Why? Because David was first an armor bearer or a friend to them. And these guys were misfits. They were cast off, cast offs by society. Nobody wanted them. David embraced them, empowered them, and said, I believe in you. I'm here for you. It's the same when reputation you do he that, had as a people teenager. People will follow you to hell, man. He has in his 20s, you know. Yeah, exactly. Not too long later, he, he carries has the on. same reputation. So today on this, on this episode, we've discussed what type of reputation you have. What kind of presence do you have when you walk in to a situation or into a room? How do people look at you? You know, it, it's very powerful. Your, how does your family feel? How does your comrades feel? How does, your, how does the community feel? You know, I, I've got a lot of stories that I'm just going to not share. But there's, I, there, that's a powerful thought. Like, who am I when I walk in a room? What kind of, what kind of report do my peers give uh, on behalf of me? Yeah. You know, and that, that should matter to us. How do I show up in a room? Because as sons of valor in this modern day world, we want you, we, we're here to encourage you and to empower you to live, to live with courage on the battlefield of life. You know, we all have different battlefields. You've got marketplace battlefields, you know, with your career assignment, you've got family battlefields, we've got relationship battlefields maybe you got a battlefield with your wife or you know you you, you've got some type of tension that you can't work out maybe you're the problem maybe you're the problem you know it's like Mm -hmm. i think about counselors sometimes we pay counselors to tell us maybe what a good friend could tell us maybe we need that outside stranger voice to confirm what we already know or to help us through these little sticking points you know like 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 how that stuff works but as we start serving others like david did It'd be amazing what will happen in the relationships in our life. Yeah, from th- our wife to our kids to our colleagues to everyone. Yeah, it, and I think that we've laid out a really good episode here today. Is there any closing thoughts? Yeah, I have a couple closing thoughts. Um, points that I 
I don't, I don't want to miss, um, because I really want to drive some of it home. Um, but don't get caught in the waiting. I think that's, I think that's super important. Um, man, when you're in those positions that feel lowly, you know what I mean? Maybe, maybe you're, maybe you're working donuts, but you, you know, that God's called you, you know, to run your own business, you know what I mean? But you're over here working for Krispy Kreme or, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you want to own your own mechanic shop, but you, you find you right now, you're just doing oil changes. Like be faithful in that assignment because it's preparing you, you know, don't waste time. You know what I mean? I think so many times we, we get caught in the waiting and really we're not doing anything. We're not being active. We're not, we're not allowing that season and that position that we hold in that time to train us and prepare us for the promotion that God wants to give us. And if, right. if that promotion came too early, it, the, the weight of our purpose, the weight of our assignment would crush us, you know? So there is th- that these times, you know what I mean? Of, of, of preparation and training are so valuable um, so that when we, when God does bring the promotion, we can actually stand up under the weight of our callings and our assignments. And, and just to remember that it never ends. Like it, it's, it's, you know, like, like just keep going. And I, and I think I'm going to, I want to say this too, is that like, let's strive to be faithful, not famous, you know? And that's, that's, that's something we touched on earlier in the podcast yeah. of guys. And to, and to do that, you have not to live about, from a different value system. Yeah. It's right? not about yeah. being seen. You or know what I mean? Successful as the world defines success. Yeah. How many we, successful, unhappy people are out there? Right. We want to define our success by what God defines success as, and He defines it as faithfulness. And this whole concept of we are in training for reigning. Yeah. I love that. You know, That's true. I God that. trains us so that we can reign, you know. Faithful in the small ruler. Overall, there's, a, there, there's <laughs> your rhyming, right? right. <laughs> You're going to break out the songwriter in <laughs> Dr. Seuss has entered the yeah, room. Dr. Seuss. <laughs> um, any other closing thoughts, guys? You know, I just, the one last thing I wanted to say about what it means to be an armor bearer is to demonstrate honor, to yeah. be a man of honor. David was a man of honor. When he had the chance to kill Saul, he didn't kill him. He had every right to. Saul was chasing him all over the kingdom. And Saul would have certainly killed David in a heartbeat had he been given the chance. He just couldn't get close enough to David. I mean, he throws a spear at him at one point, merely misses. The spear goes into the wall. But when David is right there, Saul is sleeping, and he could kill him, and he could take the throne, he doesn't. still can't. And, you know, as armor bearers, we don't steal the show from the one we serve. We understand our support role. We're there to make them look better. We're them make there to make them look good. And there's, and, and, there's and a, it's because you have the mindset is this is unto God. This is unto God. Not it's not man. about me. It's not, it's not about man. me. I'm doing this for God. Yeah. And if you can stay in that lane, yeah. God can promote you. Yeah. Because our whole culture is it's all about me, but it's not about me. If I make my life about other people, I will get promoted. And here's a great historical uh, illustration of that. Uh, when George Bush was named vice president by Ronald Reagan, um, it was a total shock to everybody, especially George Bush, because they had just duped it out in the primary and they really kind of hated each other. And uh, he becomes Reagan's vice president. And of course, in the first year of Reagan's presidency, Reagan gets shot. And so when Bush gets the news that Reagan has been shot, he is on a plane, he's flying to Maine. They turn the plane around they, and on their way back to Washington, 
they said, Mr. Vice President, we're going to helicopter you onto the White House lawn so that you can get to the Situation Room. Bush stops them and says, no, you're not going to do that. And they're like, why? He says, only the president lands on the White House lawn, and I'm not the president. He's still alive. You take me to Air Force Andrews Base, and I'll drive a car back to the White House Situation Room. And when Reagan and his team found out the honor that Bush had showed him, it cemented their relationship. They became lifelong friends. And ultimately, who becomes president after Reagan? Bush. Bush. Yeah, I believe it, it was because he honored Reagan in that way. And most people say, well, that was no big deal. So we landed on the White House lawn. Who cares? No, it was a big deal to him. He was a, Bush was a man of honor. And so God honored him and then gave him the opportunity to yeah, lead the nation. If he would awesome have, story. And if he would have landed... That that shows dissension among the presidency. Right. Who's in charge now? You know, shows like this all across the country have been talking about it. Oh, he did, you know. Right. But but he did the opposite. And what it did was it reinforced honor. Yeah. It reinforced, I value you. I value your role. I know who I am and I know who you are. And I'm going to do the right thing. Yep. And doing the right thing, which we talked about, is very rewarding. Yeah. You know, living that upright life is very rewarding. Well, thank you for being with us today on this episode. It's been an honor, really, to have Ken as a first-time guest. He's going to be basically uh, on many shows in the future. I look forward to hearing from him. He has he has a wealth of resource to pour out. It's great to be doing life together. Thank you for being on our podcast. We do have some action items that we'd like to bring to your attention. We'd love for you to check out graceops.net. You can subscribe to our email We'd love to have you stay connected to our brand and culture and what we're doing. We'd love for you to look at uh, on our website, look at the five-star charge, look over it. It's, it's an awesome charge that we put out there for men as a lifestyle. So to kind of hone in, grow in these things, we'll be talking about these things and providing resource and content on the decades and years to come. And the last thing we ask is that, would you share this with your friends, share this podcast on your social media, If you know someone that could benefit from this type of uh, messaging, we'd love to expand our reach. So thank you for being with us today. God bless.